Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network. In the future, none of you are heroes. You're legends. Get driven. Stay driven. with Red Christmas, and hopefully, you know, we can cover a little bit of that um, this evening. Um, I, you know, right. I, I got to start out, I, I was watching, um, you know, uh, you know what's going on and, and horror news and everything, and, you know, uh, I guess the, um, the one of the hot topics of, um, of today is uh, a lot of people are talking about uh, a director, uh, Jar- uh, Darren uh, Nowrzlowski's mother, mm-hmm. um, which uh, the trailer was just released, and a lot of critics are saying how it's um, the most controversial movie of the year. Well, <laughs> apparently, these people have not seen Red Christmas for, for <laughs> because you you have definitely hit the the hot button on controversy, um, and uh, you know, well, you know, I, I guess. With the whole abortion issue, um, I mean, did you know right off the bat that, that um, you know, you were going to um, gain some positive and negative interest um, by, by uh, you know, using that as a, a topic in the film? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, just, <laughs> it's just knowing that, uh, it, it's interesting though, in Australia, uh, where I'm from and where we shot the movie, abortion isn't such a big thing. Um, we don't have what you've got in America. We don't have an active debate. It's pretty much 
legal in most places, and it's performed by midwives in hospitals as part of a um, just a healthcare procedure. Like if something's not right with the the fetus, it's not viable, it's not healthy, then they sort it out. And also, if if the woman says, you know, it's not healthy for me to have this, they go, all right, let's sort it out. In in right. America, though, I know it's a very different story. And one of the big inspirations for Red Christmas was a documentary by another controversial filmmaker called Tony Kay. He made American History X, which is that excellent, you know, Oscar-nominated film with Ed Furlong and, um, uh, Ed, sorry, Ed Norton and, um, is it Edward Furlong? Yeah. Um, and that's an awesome, awesome movie. But he made a documentary called Lake of Fire, which is a, a two-and-a-half-hour black-and-white film all about abortion and reproductive rights. And in that movie, he covers so much of the controversy, which, you know, so many awesome filmmakers have when they've approached that from a documentary point of view. But I just thought it's such a taboo subject and horror, you know, tries to deal with taboos in society. Yet what it really does is it kind of just deals with safe taboos. It deals with things that are okay to talk about, like, uh, I don't know, sex and teenagers getting drunk, uh, being nude feeling like you need to be punished for your sins. You know, they're kind of safe things to talk about, whereas an actual taboo like abortion is hardly ever discussed in horror films. And there's a lot of taboos that aren't, you know, really dealt with by horror. And I think it should because, you know, why not? Why not actually do stuff that... Uh, because if horror it deals with things that are grotesque and are dreamlike and that the, the normal thinking day-to-day brain can't process, um, why not deal with it uh, with taboo subjects like abortion and it's the same for i'm a comedian back in australia and i work on a lot of comedy shows and it's interesting just to see the same problem in that there are safe things to make jokes about and then there are uh things that no one ever jokes about and when you do joke about them it really does cause a lot of controversy so i guess red christmas is similar in that in that i knew i was writing a film that would cause people to talk which is fine i think it's you know i think if people are talking about it it's fine i haven't killed anyone or blown up a, in a clinic or anything but uh, if it, people love to talk about uh, art and that's fine well you you have just on screen you know and that's okay you know yeah. I mean yeah. you know as far as um, you know and taboo subjects I mean I, trust me I'm, I'm all for uh, exploring creativity through um, you know the art form and you know people say you know, stay away from, um, what are the two things they always say? Stay away from religion and politics. And, and basically, um, you know, abortion is, is kind of, you know, right, right in between, you know, um, you know, so. Yeah, but, it definitely. Uh, um, it, it can, it, it's bizarre how much it straddles both religion and politics and a whole bunch of other bizarre, lesser important things. But, Still very big philosophical debates like eugenics and uh, disability rights and um, yeah a whole bunch of weird stuff it gets brought up when people start discussing abortion yeah yeah definitely now I mean I could be wrong about this but um, has there ever been a horror movie made that focuses or has anything to do with abortion I, I mean I, I can't remember any uh, quite honestly it's, I mean, it's not the major theme of, of a horror film, really. There's been a few right. very schlocky, schlocky films that were 
ridiculous, almost like heavy metal film clips, so to speak, that were right, about right. a fetus fighting back. Um, there was a film, uh, what was it? Uh, I guess a lot of, you could count Larry Cohen, uh, the guy who did It's Alive and stuff, is is mm-hmm. kind of close to that. There's a film called I Don't Want to Be Born, which is a very trashy film from the 80s that I've got on VHS. And then I think the reason I've called my film Red Christmas is because Black Christmas, which is, if you haven't seen Black Christmas, I don't know what you're listening to this podcast for, because <laughs> it is, you know, one of the proto-slasher films. It's, this is, I, I, like, is it Bob Clark, the guy who directed it? Um, he um, inspired uh, C- Carpenter who, to make Halloween. Um, and sure, they were talking yeah. about this being a series of films that goes from Christmas to do all of the holiday season and Halloween was the next one in line and they spoke about it often before Halloween was even made. But basically, Black Christmas is a fantastic film um, and in that, uh, the character played by um, Olivia Hussey, she is going to have an abortion and she tells her her boyfriend, another college jock, that this is happening and he kind of loses his mind and eventually throughout the film, you're not sure if it's if it's the thing in the attic that's killing everyone or if it's the angry boyfriend who doesn't want her to have an abortion. And so in that, in that respect, I thought, well, maybe this is somehow related because they both deal with abortion. And when I was writing, I was looking at casting and uh, the main character as someone in their sixties. So that literally they would have been young in the seventies and, and they're now at the other end of their reproductive cycle or their life cycle, and they're, they're in, you know, a grandmother, and that's what Dee Wallace ends up playing in my film, and she is now having to deal with the very same issue that is dealt with in Black Christmas when they're teenagers in a college dorm on Christmas Eve being killed by a madman. Well, you know, I was I was lucky enough to, uh, you know, to grow up in the, uh, in the 1980s, and, you know... Um, I, you know, I, I spent a lot of my time, you know, at the corner mom and pop video store mm-hmm. running VHS tapes. So, you know, I mean, I totally right there. You know, I remember picking up Black Christmas for the very first time and, you know, renting it and putting in my VCR. And, you know, it, there was something about, like, that time period. And, you know, um, I always liked those holiday horror themed movie. I was like Christmas Evil was another one, Silent Night, <laughs> yeah. Deadly Night was another one. You yeah. know, and they were all all very, you know, controversial, you know, during for that time, you know, because, you know, yeah. God forbid, you know, uh, a little kid sees Santa Claus with an axe, you know, but <laughs> uh, Well, Silent Night, but, Deadly yeah. Night in my in my country was banned in, in certain states and it became a selling point for the distributor to put a little sticker on it saying banned in Queensland. And they put the famous image of um, the guy with the axe on the, on the cover for Silent Night. It was excellent. Yeah. Uh, oh, and you know what? And I think in the long run, you know, doing something like that kind of helps the film more than it hurts the film because it's almost like a bragging right. Like, oh, you know, our film was banned in, like, 48 states or, you know, whatever it was, you know. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, it, become, it becomes like, you know, oh, wow, you know, i got to see this film because, you know, it's got to be so far out there, you know. And, it, you know, these are the things that cult classics, 
you know, are made from. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, especially in our current environment where there are so many films that exist, and, and more now than ever, we have to compete as filmmakers with films from the past. Like, before there was um, films playing in cinemas, you know, retrospectives, and then we had home entertainment and videos come out, and we had to compete with films from the last, you know, 20, 30 years and the classics. But now we've got so many digital resources that if you make a horror film, you're not just competing with the, the 10 horror films that come out that year in big cinemas or, you know, the, the 50 independent ones. You're now competing with every horror film ever made. So I think that yeah. anyone who's considering making a, a, not just a horror film, but any type of movie, you really have to push yourself to think outside the box, deal with ideas and stories that don't normally get dealt with. Because it's not just um, the quantity of films. We also can make very good films now. Uh, we, the quality of, of film production and what's available in resources for any young person who's about to make a film is amazing. Like they can, well, everything that's been learned by cinema can now be replicated for 500 bucks on eBay. And you can now own the kind of camera jib that they would have spent, you know, was a, a revelation in Citizen Kane or in 2001. But now anyone can just right. replicate it. And where, so now it's like, well, it's not, it's not about quality. It's about uh, the, the idea. How, Far are you willing to push the idea for a story? Because that what is what will compete in the future, the idea for something. And I kind of know that an aborted fetus coming back and meeting its family is an idea that in still in 15 years time people will be able to go, oh that's interesting. I want to see that movie now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean it is very interesting. I mean it it uh, it grabbed me, you know, when I first found out about it and. You know, definitely it's it's the type of movie that, you know, when you hear about what it's actually about, it's like, well, you know, maybe I, you know, it, it's like watching an accident or something. You know, maybe I shouldn't watch this, but, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of drawn to it. I want to see it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a very good warning, though. Just think of my <laughs> film like an accident. You may not want to see it. <laughs> but, you know, what's no, but Hey, you know, but you know what? Horror movies are like accidents. They're train wrecks. They're tragedies. They're, you know, I mean, yeah. but that, that's what we want. We want that escapism, you know, because trust me, you know, all of us, we have enough drama in our real lives, you know. We want to see yeah. someone on TV, you know, you know, get um, get axed and get butchered and, and get, like, you know, uh, destroyed you know, and so we can, mm -hmm. like, you know, have a laugh at it because it's not us, it's them. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, from a comic point of view, slapstick is so exciting to watch because you have a very brief moment where you go, oh, my God, that looks terrible. That person is very much hurt. But then the comedian shows, no, I'm okay. And they get up and they continue on, and it gives you some sort of cathartic release that, oh, everything's okay. And I think horror does that in a way because, you know... <laughs> In a lot of films, horror films, the the heroes are disposable. It's it's not a coincidence that all college kids in horror films for the first twenty minutes, you kind of hope they die. You know, right? When you watch right. those types of movies, you're going, oh man, just hurry up! And you want Jason to do Jason's job and get rid of these annoying douchebags you've had to watch for the last twenty minutes. Uh, I think that happens a fair bit. I tried in my film to make my characters a little more. 
sympathetic that you might care for them more, which I think, you know, makes it less of a um, traditional horror film and more of a edgy, <laughs> I don't know, thriller, psycho type film, um, because uh, I want you to like the characters before I kill them all, like a psychopath. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you were talking a little bit earlier about D. Wallace. I mean, basically, you know, you have the most likable um, person in the horror industry in your film. I mean, D. Yeah. Wallace is is adored by everyone, um, and she has been in so many. Just, I, I can't even fathom the amount of classic <laughs> horror movies and just science fiction mm-hmm. movies she's been in. Um, so let's just talk about was, D. Wallace for a moment. Oh, man. Calling D on the very first phone call was like calling, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a character in a film. Uh, what's that film, the AI, the Spielberg one he did after Kubrick, and it's you, he's always after the Blue Angel or something? And it's like a source of knowledge that has lived forever and knows everything. Or Google, right. so to speak. But Google, you have to ask it questions. Hanging out with D on set, it's like Google is hanging out with you and able to go, well, I'll tell you what uh, Wes Craven did here. And you go, oh, fuck, please tell me. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> you you have that constantly with D. She has access to so many things that she's worked with, so many famous films and directors that she's worked with. Rob Zombie, Peter Jackson, um, Joe Dante, uh, who else? I'm sure, you know, Stephen King. Like, even on Cujo, like, there was a very big thing I'd written into my script where a little girl gets killed, and one of the characters was going to be a, a, a four-, five-year-old girl. And she read the script, and the only note she ever gave me was, you know what, I think you're going to have trouble with audiences here because you kill a kid on screen, it's, it's you know, it's hard to, to come back from that, and you're going to lose the parents. And she explained to me um, in Cujo where in the novel – she, uh, in Stephen King's original book, the, the, the little boy dies at the end of Cujo uh, that she's been trying to protect the whole time. And so when she was right. filming, she was like, does not feel right. So she started speaking to the director, and then she spoke to, so yeah, Louis Tegan, and she speaks to Stephen King and says, I think that we should not kill this kid. And then when they, they kept the kid alive, which they do at the end of Cujo, um, Stephen King came up to her at the, the premiere and said, okay, this is my favorite adaption because I feel this feels right. I'm so glad you didn't kill the kid. I can't tell you how many letters I got from the public when I killed the kid in the book. So she's like, um, very useful. Cause she told me that story and I went, okay, maybe now I'll reconsider because you've just told me a story where you personally talk Stephen King into a better ending. Do you know what I mean? So I go, yeah. okay, I'm going to listen to you because you have so much experience in this industry. And that happened on set constantly when we're just setting things up. And even working, she worked with Blake Edwards, who I love. Uh, he's a comic director who did the Pink Panther films. And she just sure, yeah. had uh, you know, experiences on, on the film 10 with Dudley Moore and, and Bo Derek, where she was able to say, well, in this scenario, we would do this and – you know, that's what Blake Edwards would do. And she would just sort of pass the knowledge back and forth, which was fantastic. Like, it's, I, I can't explain how exciting it is to work with an actor who has 40 years of history of films that I love, that she's able to, re, you know, re-communicate what things would do on set. Because this was my first movie. I've done a lot of comedy television, but I've never made a, a film before, let alone a horror film. 
but I love them, right. but I've just never made one. And she was just an awesome person to have to guide me through it as, as we shot. Yeah, I mean, she has been uh, – and so the great thing is, I mean, she's been in so many movies. Like, she's been involved in so many movies that are classics. I mean, you know, you mentioned Cujo, and, and I mean, she's been in – um, the Howling, which I love that movie, oh, and yes. she's also in uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which I mm-hmm. mean she's probably most known for. Um, but then there's like these other movies where you know she has like a role here or there that like I, I honestly can tell you I never knew that she was even involved in um, you know the movie Ten until. I think a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago when I was looking up her IMDb and I'm like, wait, she was in 10, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, wow. I mean, like you're looking down her, the list of her credits and it's, uh, you know, pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, and she keeps popping up. Like people keep wanting to use her, like in Rob Zombie's films or in Peter Jackson, putting her in the frightness or even just, you know, like a modern indie famous, like Ty West, you know, like she pops up, I think it's in the house of the devil in the first scene, she's just playing a real estate woman. And it's because everyone wants to connect to the, to her and to the past. She's right. You know, she's done so much. I think she's listed in over 200 films now. So she's, she's really uh, going on. And, you know, as she gets older, I think she's made a deal with the devil because she looks younger all the time. Like you wouldn't, like I know her real age and I wrote this film for a 63 year old woman and she's right on the cusp of looking like that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that looks like you're someone's grandma. And then like she, right, every right. morning she'd be out walking in the Australian bush doing like power walks before anyone wakes up. And she's just amazing. She's a dynamo. Wow. So uh, quick question, your, your favorite D Wallace movie um, and you can't say Red Christmas. <laughs> well, I'm not a psychopath. Um, yeah, okay, let me think. I love, I mean, I grew up with E.T. Howling, the transformation is fantastic in that. Uh, oh, no, okay. The thing that cemented it for me was re-watching Cujo when I, because um, I was looking at a lot of, a few other actors of her kilt, uh, her ilk, uh, to, when I was casting. And then I re-watched Cujo and I went, okay, 100%. That is D at her best. She's amazing in that film. So I think for performance, Cujo is D's best film. And it's great no, to, um, as, as press comes out for Red Christmas, to be compared to Cujo and to for people to say, this is D Wallace at her best. And for some reviewers to say this is better than her performance in Cujo. I don't know if that's true, but it's just excellent to be in that arena of, you know, these world. It's very exciting. Oh, certainly. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree. And, you know, I love, I love some of the press that you're getting. And, um, you know, I think, um, one, I, I can't remember who it was, but, um, uh, there was one article that compared your, um, your visual style to, um, uh, Suspiria, which I thought that was um, that that was a pretty interesting uh, comparison, you know. But you know, yeah. a compliment a compliment is a compliment nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it for sure. I, yeah, that was like the International yeah. Film Journal, like a fancy publication, and I was so excited yeah. because 
on set, that was our goal. The first half is meant to look like a Nancy Meyer, Nora Ephron, polite family comedy. And then the second half, we go to Crazy Town and it becomes every Giallo film ever, you know, as it goes to Suspiria specifically with the colours. And yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the, the impetus for that is, is, um, is less from horror. It's when I was a boy, I loved this uh, cartoon, a Disney cartoon, where Chipmunks, Chip and Dale, uh, are, it's, but it's from the 50s, so it's just a, like a seven-minute short, and they're in a Christmas tree on Christmas Day. And it's like, um, I think Donald Duck cuts down a, a tree, brings it inside, puts lights all over it, and then the chipmunks wake up, and they're like, whoa, we're inside. But every time they went to a different branch of the tree, there's a whole different color. And I was just fascinated with that. And so on set, that was our goal, that once everything you know starts going bad, Let's do that Chippendale Christmas film where there's cartoon, there's a different color to every room. But on on set, I must admit the code word was let's is this you know because on set we're shooting out of order, so we don't know if it's darkness or daytime or nighttime crazy. And the code word for crazy was is this Suspiria lighting? And we go yeah, it's Suspiria. So it's great to have people you know pick up on that. That is so fantastic. That um, yeah, I, I love that. Um, yeah, excellent. Uh, and another um, another one I wanted to touch base on, and um, you know, I don't know, uh, you were over at the uh, Kew Gardens um, Festival of Cinema, um, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know where, where this actually came from, but the New York Times um, had <laughs> covered you in an article about um, – and I, I guess re- really it was like um, they were talking a lot about uh, Annabelle Creation, which was coming out around that same time period. Um, yes. But you, um, you know, you were thrown in uh, talking about a creepy doll you had. Um, can you talk <laughs> yes, a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I was younger, I had uh, my grandmother had a doll in her room, in her lounge room, in her little house. And it was a ventriloquist dummy, but... I think it had been built in the 20s, and since then it's fallen apart and looks hideous, like hideous. And I don't know if it was my grandmother or someone else had cut the skull of another doll and stuck it on top of this one so that it looks like a wig or it looks like it's, you know, its hair's been improved. But it was gold from another doll. Like everything about this thing, it was musky, it, the the paint is falling off it. It's It's very scary. It's like Annabelle... Uh, if she'd been run over a few times through uh, on a dirt road. So this thing right. sat in my grandmother's house, but it was also next to the lolly container, the jar of um, lollies. So it was like this horrible mix of, go and get yourself a lolly, Craig, <laughs> and you've got to walk into this dark room where this thing sits there next to the jar. It was uh, it was very scary. But, yeah, then the New York Times were doing this piece, and I happened to have that because it's been passed down. I'm, I've, I'm the guy who's ended up with it because I'm, you know, into horror. <laughs> Uh, and I took a photo and sent it to them with my um, story, and they, they ended up printing it. It was great. Wow, no, that's fantastic. Yeah, I was wondering, like, how that whole thing came about, you know? I didn't know if, like, they hooked up with you while you were in New York or if this was something that, like, you know, was, you know, before that oh, or whatever. There was a publicist working um, for the arts location who were releasing – Red Christmas in 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 LA in America across the country and they said 
hey, the New York Times is looking at doing a piece about this to coincide with Annabelle. Do you have any creepy stories? And they were looking for anything from any horror filmmaker. And I happened to have this doll, which, you know, part of my life. Yeah. So I said, well, yeah, for something. And I didn't, I didn't well, know for sure it was about Annabelle. Uh, I just knew that at the time that was happening. So I thought, well, yeah, this is my story. And, it, you know, it fitted well. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, no, that's cool. Good, good coincidence, yeah. Definitely. Um, all right, well, listen, um, right now I want to take a, a quick commercial break, um, and then we got a couple of sponsors we got to get to. But then after we come back, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your, um, your VHS collection. Okay. I can't wait all to right. talk about those uh, tapes. Thank you. All right. All right. We'll be right back. Okay. Attention business owners, website owners, event promoters, or anyone looking to promote your product. The Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network is the perfect way to spread the word of your business around the world. That's right. You can advertise at our network and be played on all of our shows at rates that are so cheap. It's a no-brainer. For more information, contact Bay Ragney at bayragney at gmail.com. To keep your business driven, stay driven with Totally Driven Entertainment. Are you a fan of Sherlock Holmes? Letters from Holmes offers unique, one-of-a-kind letters from the world-famous detective himself. Handwritten on 8.5-inch by 11-inch aged parchment paper and using smudge-free ink to produce original, high-quality letters that fans will treasure for years to come. Each letter is handcrafted and written from the perspective of Sherlock Holmes, mimicking Holmes's native tongue and embracing many of the famous detective's quirks, quips, insults and peculiarities. Order a love letter, birthday greeting, personal correspondence, or more only at www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash letters from homes. For $5 today, you can buy a wealth of things. Gas for your car, rent a movie for the family, a few slices of pizza. $5 still takes you a long ways. But did you know that $5 can buy your child a bag of heroin in the streets? That's right. For only $5, your son or daughter can buy some of the cheapest and purest dope in the country. Be aware of the lies. Be aware of the stealing. Be aware that's all it takes to kill your child. $5. This message was brought to you by Casey's Cause, a group of parents located in southern Chester County out to save your child's life. Come join us today at www.caseyscause.com. And remember, $5 is all it takes. Casey's Cause www.caseyscause.com Looking for that perfect gift for your girlfriend? Then look no further than Teddy Scares. Teddy Scares are available in a variety of styles, sizes, and prices for all your shopping needs. Teddy Scares are a mix of cute and creepy to make a great gift for almost any age. Board up your windows, lock your doors, and log on to teddyscares.com. And be sure to become our friends at facebook.com slash teddyscares. Calling all comic book fans. Do you collect comics? Did you ever collect comics? Do you think your children might like reading comic books? Do you even know they still print real, paper, non-digital comic books? Well, then visit the Pirates of Ontario Street Comics in Philadelphia. We have a massive collection of comic books, action figures, trading cards, and much more. We have one of the largest stocks of back-issue comics in the area. We bag and board every new comic book at no extra charge. Our store is voted the best comic book shop in the 2013 PHL 17 Hot List Contest. Part of the movie Unbreakable is filmed in our store. We are open seven days a week. Ontario Street Comics is located at 2235 
East Ontario Street in the Port Richmond section of Philly. Our phone number is 215-288-7338. Type in the words Ontario Comics Philadelphia to check out our Wacky Stores page on Facebook. A scientist named Frankenstein made a monster by sewing together parts of old dead bodies. You have to read that stuff. Wait a minute. Frankenstein gave the monster eternal life by shooting it full of electricity. Some people claim it is not dead even now. Uh-huh. Just dormant. <laughs> now, who'd be silly enough to believe that? <laughs> <laughs> Who would be silly enough to believe that? <laughs> Me. Uh. All right, this is Mike Joy, and we're back on Horror News Confidential. We've been talking to Craig Anderson about Red Christmas. And, uh, all right, Craig, besides Red Christmas, you, uh, something I know uh, that I read from another interview, it was the fact that you have this massive VHS collection. Um, <laughs> how many, mm-hmm. how many v- VHS tapes do you have? Uh, 10,837. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Is so, that sorry, something man. like how, how, uh, basically that's a, a lifetime of collecting, I'm assuming, right? Well, yeah. And I wasn't sure if, uh, the internet was going to take off <laughs> and I kept b- believing it, it might still fail one day. Um, basically it started, I'm 40 years old. And when I was in my early twenties, video stores started to get rid of their VHS tapes as DVD was taking over in the, in the mid nineties. And that's when by about 2001, most video stores to make room for DVDs were starting to make, VHS available for two dollars out the front to buy, so they could get rid of it and not have to throw it in the bin, you know, and still make some money off it. So I remember being out uh, at college and 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 just seeing a, a whole wall of videos for two dollars each, and there were great movies there, like Woody Allen films and a whole bunch of very bizarre action adventure films that I'd never heard of, or you know, because like anyone, I'm sort of excited by what's coming out and what's new. I wasn't looking to the past, but when they were $2, I thought, well, I might just grab a few of those. And there were also bizarre titles about, you know, how to microwave your, you know, how do you make your family's hair uh, better, you know, produced by companies, special interest tapes, they were called. And I just started buying up. And I figured, well, look, $2 a day is all it costs. Uh, It's cheaper than a coffee. So I started buying videotapes. And as I got older into... um, Maybe into when I was in my 30s, I went from about a thousand tapes I just collected naturally, which I think is about normal for someone to have a thousand things of, that they like, if it's DVD or something. And, but then I started to really, I got a warehouse space to uh, do TV projects in, and I had a lot of space. And so then I realized, well, maybe I could go out and find things for a dollar. And I started driving all around the country, Australia, and finding tapes. And, and stores that were closing. And it was quite sad because I got to see the end of uh, the home entertainment industry, the physical industry of um, DVD and video and, and laser disc and all those things in stores. 
and talk to the video store owners. I made a lot of good friends who were closing down and I found the fanciest stores in the country and, and started to buy their tapes and, and I worked hard to end up with 10,000 tapes. But at some point during my collection, I started to throw out tapes that I was like, well, I'm not going to hang on to things that I know you can get on DVD. So I just kept looking for titles that weren't out on DVD and that was very exciting. But then in the last few years, I realized, oh no, all the kids want to get Terminator on VHS or Mad Max or something. So I started to also grab hold of any of those that I could get, like Aliens, or just because I knew, well, they've got some quiche value. But I ended up with a lot of videos that you don't find anywhere. And um, I, I, I'm trying to catalogue them all, but I've only gotten through the thriller section. I keep them as if it's a video store. I put them in their genres. And um, I've got about maybe 600 thrillers, and I was just going through those and cataloging them, and about two-thirds of them don't exist in a digital way yet. They, they Sometimes they get released by bizarre companies who have picked up, you know, these movies for $2. Uh, they, I mean, that you could still buy for a, a box of 10 or five films for sure. $2 at, the, at Walmart or something. But then there's also ones like that come out on Criterion Collection where you go, oh, okay, so this film, Purple Noon, this Greek film from the 70s is apparently a very artistic film. And it's interesting to see what gets saved and what movies don't get saved. And I think the general rule is the bad ones never get saved. And they're not, they're, they're, you know, there's a cult of cinema of watching trash movies or bad movies like The Room, where it's funny to watch it because they're so hilariously bad. But then there's a whole bunch that maybe on IMDb have three to five stars that aren't bad enough to become famous. So they're just sort of bad films that no one ever gets to see again and no one bothers to save them. And so I've got a lot of those types of movies in, in, in the collection. But um, in regards to genre studies, there's about a 1,000 special interest tapes. There's 800 uh, horror films, which um, I know is probably the more valuable of all of the collection. It's interesting just... Because I follow a lot of VHS uh, swapping people and people who buy and sell, but I never sell any of them. I just keep saving them and, and then digitizing them. But uh, I just like watching, seeing the value of certain tapes. And Disney films, those Disney Black Diamond films, um, I don't know if you know about this, but if there's a spine on the spine of the tape, if there's a Black Diamond, um, they, they can be very valuable, hundreds of dollars. But uh, there's oh, also uh, just films that... Like in the UK, it's during 1986, there was this big push and they uh, to get rid of censor the videos because, like the internet, it was an uncensored thing for many years. People were just releasing whatever film they want, and in, and people would go out and make trash films and get releases in the home entertainment market. And no one was keeping an eye on it, and then eventually in the UK they went, "Hang on a second. What the hell is Cannibal Holocaust? Why is this on a video? And why can kids go to the local supermarket and borrow it? And they started classifying films. And amongst that classification, it was all very much driven by um, the uh, the religious satanic panic led by Mary Whitehead, I think her name was. And it, they they made 30 or 30 something tapes called video nasties that were completely banned. And they would put, you know, convenience store shop owners in jail if they happen to be still hiring it out and and some of the films are completely fine now uh, like uh, evil dead one and two were on the list 
Um, Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre 2 was on the list. Like, it was ridiculous what films were and weren't on the list. Films that we now laugh at and get re-released with very low PG-13 or, you know, 17 ratings were on that list and banned. But there were films that are still banned on that list as well. I'm trying to think of an example of one. Something, you know, something like Salo might be on that list, but I don't, it wasn't on that list, but something of that ilk. Okay. Uh, Ilsa, Ilsa, She, Wolf of the SS, which is now, I think you can get that, at least in Australia you can, and it's not even a, uh, I think it's just an R, it's not an X, it's just an R. But, you know, that's like, Ilsa is a, a Nazi commander who, who does torture on, on, on Jewish prisoners. But it's like a just Franco sexy, you know, lesbian vampire type bit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's basically on, like, you know, DVD and Blu-ray and, and you know, on demand and everything, you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I like you said, um, there's so many out there that uh, are, that you don't know about, yeah. you know, just because no one cares to, you know, put them out on DVD or Blu-ray anymore. Um, oh, and the, and the uh, other interesting thing is also they get lost. Um we yeah. had a very famous incident in Australia where no one could find the original film for Outback or Wake in Fright is what we called it in Australia, and I think it's called that now. But it's a great horror movie from the 70s, uh, an Australian movie. And um, they found the print in a garbage bin about seven years ago in a, in a trash in Italy, like the last remaining print. They found it, and now uh-huh. we can, it's digitally restored on Blu-ray, but... Up until that point, VHS was the only way to see that. And I've got a lot of movies like that um, that uh, it's kind of weird because they're so obscure, you, you can't really talk. I can't really mention them. It won't make any sense to you. But uh, there's also Australian films that are, that have just totally disappeared. The The company was set up for six months while they made the film. It flopped. Everything got shut down. They, the prints got taken. The, the, the director felt bad about it, you know, so didn't bother picking up the prints. That's it. The prints got thrown out by the next person who leased the house in 1987. And now the VHS is the only way you can see that film. And I think that happens a fair bit. Um, I know that some of the collection are films made by like uh, TV movies, like the Stepford Wives sequels I I have, which are fascinating, you know, like um, from, from, from the period. Uh, after the first Stepford Wives, there was an awesome sequel made, and there's just a whole bunch of things like that that are TV-style movies that that exist. But and also the other exciting things in the collection are independent films um, that get made that don't go on. And I and I would often watch them and tweet some some gra- you know some photos from the TV and then and just write it into Twitter. And I would, the directors would approach me. I had one guy who made this amazing film called God's Lonely Man, which for film buffs, that's, that's a line from the film Taxi Driver. And the movie God's Lonely Man is pretty much Taxi Driver set in LA, filmed in, in the mid-90s. And it's, it's a really good film. I feel really weird when I show people it because I go, clearly this is a rip-off of Taxi Driver. But if you've never seen Taxi Driver you would be pretty much blown away by this movie. And they all agree. Everyone who's seen it goes, that's an amazing film. I put that on Twitter, and the director contacted me and went, oh, my God, how did you see this? This is so exciting <laughs> that someone has seen my film. And I said, well, yeah. you know, I found it on, um, on in, in a VHS in Australia. I don't know how 
it ended up here. And I gave him all the information I could find about how, you know, the releasing company and copyright information. And, you know, he's just over the moon that someone had seen it because he obviously had done a dodgy deal somewhere along the line. And it, it, it got sold very cheaply to an international sales agent who maybe made the one sale to Australia and never told him. And so he had no idea it was on a video in Australia. So it's great just right. doing that. And, yeah, I find I've, I've had that happen a couple of times where film, the filmmakers um, – even people who you think, well, that person's big enough, they won't care if I tweet, they end up going, hey, I can't believe you've seen that movie. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm telling you, if, uh, you know, if, if all else fails, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, they say old things, you know, come around. You can open up a, uh, uh, a chain of video stores with all the uh, VHS tapes that you have. Yeah, it'll be like Back to the Future too, um, the Cafe Eighties. <laughs> You're gonna have uh, yeah. the VHS store. Yeah, it's good. I've been also collecting a lot of memorabilia as well from video stores. In Australia, we had this, what well, was pretty much IMDb, but it was printed out and it sat on every video store um, counter. And it's a huge, huge bible of all movies released and whether or not they were on videotape in Australia. And you'd flick through it by name and director or by the movie title. And it was that was a fascinating book. So I've got a couple of those. I've got lots of video store signs. I've got like 500 movie posters. And, and that's the other cool thing. And that's what makes video for the collectors. That's what they collect. And that's what is um, expensive. And, and what's valuable is that in Australia, for instance, when a movie came out, they would paint a new poster because people had a lot of money in, in VHS days when, when it was in the, at its peak in the, in the late 80s. And so they would just yeah. employ artists to repaint the pa- painting uh, of Top Gun or repaint um, a poster for... In fact, with Dee, I was able to show her on video when she came to Australia to shoot three different covers that she'd never seen where someone had repainted her face. One was called, like, uh, The King of the City. Another one was a poster for um, an Australian movie that she starred in in the, in the 80s. And one more film, I think it was maybe Howling, like a different cover for Howling, a painting of her. Um, and it's fascinating, you know, it's just that. And that's for the things that, that the traders do. They, they, they treat video as if it's a, um, an artwork. They, they will trade and they will hardly ever open it and put the tape in to watch it. They usually just trade it purely on the, the cover and the big box, the clamshells. Yeah, yeah. So I got a question. Have, ever thought about um, doing like a retro release with uh, Red Christmas and uh, and trying to get it uh, released on VHS, or is that something that you? Because uh... I saw yeah. some. So there are some movies that actually have done that in recent years. I, I and I think just for the novelty aspect of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, and I think they should. I think they're awesome. Like. I don't know if Red Christmas is entirely suitable. I have done a VHS version for my collection, and I've made out a dodgy, you know, like a, a shoddy cover that that suits the period and, um, okay. and printed that out and then put it onto a VHS using all my fancy video computer, you know, back and forth on. And, you know, I've done that, and I've, sp- I've spoken to a guy who's releasing in Australia about, you know, how much would that cost and is it worth it and... I just don't know. I'm not 100%. But movies like Turbo Kid, you can get on VHS. I saw it at Amoeba Music the other day. Um, 
that there are certain movies that Paranormal Activity, there was an online petition to get that brought out on VHS. And I'm sure things like Kung Fury, is it Kung Fury? Um, the, the, the one, the YouTube smash hit thing that had a, a lot of followers. Those types of films should come out on VHS. I think in the same way that there's a lot of great horror records now being released on vinyl, like classic soundtracks are getting fan, you know, really good. I think, is it Mondo Records is one of them that releases video, that releases great soundtracks for horror movies on really beautiful art and fantastic, you know, blood-stained vinyl wax. Uh, yeah, I, and so VHS is occasionally getting that treatment, movies coming out on VHS, and there's um, a few places in America that I follow that uh, release on VHS, and they specifically find lost films and or, or bizarre films from the 80s including one i saw like a bunch of high school kids remade the terminator <laughs> and in in like 1992 as terminator 2 was coming out these high school kids just remade terminator shot for shot and it's hilarious and it's the only way you can watch it is on vhs from a, a company that releases it in america in the states here it's fantastic what wow I didn't know about that. That's that's pretty funny. Yeah, to, uh, I will have to that. look that up. Actually, I'll tell you what that is in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's that's so cool. Um, I mean, I am, I still have uh, a couple, um, you know, working uh, VCRs, and you know, I have well, not as much as you, but I have my own little VHS collection that I go to every mm-hmm. once in a while. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I love them, you know, I, I, you know, no matter what technology comes out, you know, DVD, Blu-ray, and now everything is on demand, but, uh, hey, I, I still go back to those VHS tapes now and again, just to, uh, you know, because these, these are tapes yeah. I had since, you know, the eighties, you know, that I never got rid of and, you know, I just, you know, they're memories. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's something magical about it, like listening to a record. There's there's analog hiss on a VHS tape, magnetic, you know, disruptions and stuff and tracking issues and just watching it on a small old school CRT TV screen is pretty charming. And one thing I've learned as a filmmaker is watching it on VHS takes away, it removes the... um, what would you call the miss on scene or the aesthetic beauty of a, of a film. And it makes you focus on story and dialogue and, and acting like the, the things that are really important on set. Cause you hire a good DP. You saw, you know, that that's what I do with red Christmas. I worked with a friend called Doug Bergdorf, who's an amazing DP and director. And he just solved all that problem. I didn't think about it, but the thing that took me two years was the script and, and working with actors and, and when you watch on VHS, you're forced to look at those things because you don't get taken away by the 5.1 Dolby digital surround sound. You're just listening right, to right. a tinny speaker and you're forced to focus on the story and how the film's being cut together and how it's being, you know, how the plot unravels. And I think it's it's a good thing for filmmakers, you know. And I, I don't know if the, the phone, watching stuff on your on your iPhone has taken that spot because maybe in a way it has because it is so small and pretty crappy to be watching a movie on your phone but it's a similar thing when you watch it on an old school videotape it it takes away those all the tricks that the filmmakers could use and makes you focus on the story 
Absolutely. Hey, so um, anyway, I just want to um, just flop back to uh, Red Christmas uh, before we got to wrap things up here. And, uh, uh, well, I, I mean, just touching base on, on a, a few quick things. Um, one being uh, congratulations. And we got, uh, you know, Red Christmas in theaters right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, popping up. Uh, we had the New York and the LA premiere a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, and now um, you know, uh, week by week, these next couple weeks, we're, we're popping up. Um, you know, in different cities with Red Christmas uh, until finally, I think um, in October, um, it's coming out on uh, DVD, Blu-ray, and, and video on demand. Uh, and then yep. finally, uh, you know, right before Christmas, uh, it's. Uh, uh, coming out on Netflix, so um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, really, right now, it, it's making the rounds from from theater to uh, to home, uh, you know, DVD and Blu-ray and everything like that. So um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. congratulations yeah, really, on all, all of that. Well, thank you. And you, if you're listening, you've got no excuse not to see it now. It really is. Um, I'm very lucky you know and and happy that it's coming out on just about every possible platform that it could come out on except vhs so you know right except VHS. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but i think i may be the only one who's upset about that um but every every other possible way that you could see red christmas if you you know it's in a lot of theaters right now and yeah it's going to be on dvd and blu-ray for which i've done a lot of special features actually there's um a a 20-minute interview i did with d about about working on my film but also just about the entire history of her working on everything she's ever done that's fascinating and there's a guy in the film with Down syndrome and an intellectual disability and he's a hilarious guy I've worked with for years and so we do a lot of fun things I interview him we he and I do a commentary and he has a very unique perspective on on the film because of you know when you see you'll see that his storyline plays out and it has to do with uh, reproductive rights and um, okay. he he also has a very emotional connection to the film so in the commentary track I'm just being a wanker talking about you know film stuff but he's there going you know responding emotionally and talking about his choices and his character choices so I think that's a very interesting thing to listen to if, if you like commentary tracks so there's a lot of exciting yeah. things on, on the Blu-ray including some bloopers and because uh, every everyone besides D is a comedian back in my country does a lot of comedy acting so um, not you know not that it's a ridiculous comedy movie but there's, there's, all the actors have great experience in the improv and mucking around and, and I find working with actors who uh, can do comedy is so much easier because they are open to new ideas and they're also open to you know from whether it be hey let's move this chair and shoot the scene over here and doesn't you know confuse them and make them angry they go yeah okay sure they're comedians all the way to hey let's do this film about an abortion that comes back and kills everyone and they go yeah sure let's do that you know like they're very open to responding right. and, and to you know, moving with the changes. So I'd, I'd thoroughly recommend working with comic actors uh, in, in a movie, yeah. especially in a horror movie where you have to do extreme things. You know, where comic actors are used to dealing with extremes and doing things that offend people and, and, and are hardcore. Right. So, I mean, it, just, it makes sense. Uh, uh, yeah. So um, now that you got your uh, feet wet and you, you've done a, a feature film, uh, Red Christmas, 
Um, are you looking to do uh, another horror movie down the line? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I mean, I love horror. Um, I always have since I was a boy. I, I wasn't allowed to watch them. I had to just read books about them. So I really got a good understanding of all horror before I ever saw one. So I'm still totally obsessed with it. I've written three outlines for new movies. One of them is uh, a sequel to Red Christmas. Um, I won't give away the ending of Red Christmas, but not everybody lives. And uh, it's just 20 years in the future, and it's at college, and it's about misogyny and misogyny on campus and, you know, men's rights activists who get all fired up about anything and you know having their rights taken away and it's it's pretty much based on a, an excellent exploitation film called rape squad um or act of vengeance as it was titled here um and that's about five women who decide to fight back so it's it's set on okay. campus and it is related to red christmas i can't tell you until you see the movie how it's related sure. but pretty much um that it it becomes feminism versus misogyny and and involves a lot of murder on campus. And so that's okay. one film. And another idea is uh, based on the urban Korean urban myth called The Elevator Game, which is um, famous because of a, a, a horrible incident of, of where a woman called Eliza Lim, Eliza Lim, she was a, a student who came to L.A., stayed in a hotel, and there's footage of her talking to someone that you can't see, and the next night she disappeared and then wasn't found until like two two weeks later inside the water tower on top of the building. So it's like a big mystery oh, okay. about what happened. I mean, the reality yeah. is she was probably, unfortunately, uh, mentally uh, health issues at the time and ended up uh, killing herself. But in, in the urban right. Korean myth, you play this sequence of numbers in an elevator and then when if it works you go to a new dimension and but in that new dimension is a woman who wants to kill you and you have to fight oh, wow. it and you have to get back so that's a very exciting urban myth and so I've written a, a script about that so I'm trying to get those okay. two films up and, um, running at the moment okay hey that, that sounds yeah. pretty interesting um, so I, we're, we're just about out of time but you know um, Again, you know, we mentioned where Christmas is coming out everywhere, and, you know, it was so cool to talk to you finally. You know, I know, you know I've been wanting to, and then, you know, we dove into the yeah. VHS collection, which I'm just fascinated about. So, um, well, it's really um, cool stuff. if you want to see more of my Instagram, if you search uh, on Instagram, sorry, if you want to see more VHS, on Instagram, I'm Craig Anderson underscore VHS, and I've posted maybe 3,000 of those tapes, just the covers and the outline of what the movie's about on Instagram. And um, I've got to get back on to posting those. So if you want to see any of those videos, you can go and check them out on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Hey, there you heard it right there. So go check it out on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to give a plug to my movie. Just go and look at some old tapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, great. Again, you know, it's been fantastic talking to you. And, um, you know, again, look for Red Christmas theaters or, or you know, on DVD. It's it's going to be really cool. Um, Thank you. And, uh, well, uh, any, any final words before I let you go? No. Um, uh, please don't be angry at me. It's a movie. <laughs> if you see it and you are very politically swayed, remember, you should probably be approaching people who kill doctors instead of me. So, I mean, exactly. I know it's... It's just a movie. It's a work of art that makes people talk. 
I haven't hurt anyone, and I don't want to, and I am on your side. Probably I am on your side. So watch the movie and get into it, but don't attack people. Same thing for comedians who make bad jokes that aren't your taste. Remember, there are people who are actually hurting people in the world. You know, send, a, send an angry tweet at those people, the criminals. Yeah. <laughs> Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu to you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again.